hello, hello, everyone. Um, thank you so much, Sonia, for letting me share. And let's start this out with a prayer. Let's bow our heads. Um, Father God, thank you so much for this time that we get to have just to delve into your word, God. I pray that you just you just take over, God, and speak through me. Um, please just allow me to say whatever you want me to say. Um, and shut my mouth if you don't want me to say um, something, God. And I just pray that I'm able to um, preach powerfully as you promised that your word is, God. Um, and I just love you. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So the title of my lesson is Part of a Bigger Whole. Part of a Bigger Whole. And hi, Mom. <laughs> and my aunt's here and my grandma's here. Just want to give a shout out to them. Thank you guys for coming. Um, so I'm super grateful to be here and to share a bit of what I've been learning these past few weeks. Um, and so, you know, as I preach, just know that this is what has convicted me. Um, and so we're going to start in Mark chapter 4. So Mark 4 in verse 1. And it reads, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. And so let's just pause right there. Nobody talks about how Jesus was able to speak to thousands of people with no microphone. Like they didn't have technology back then. Like, you know, like this is, it's kind of crazy. These are multitudes of people, but they could all hear him clearly, you know? And so that's a miracle in itself. And you don't really hear that mentioned at all. And so I kind of, you know, did a little research because, you know, Jesus obviously had some power behind his voice. Um, but I wanted to see, like, why did he choose this area, right? And so a little research into the subject shows that being on water and surrounded by mountains, which is where Jesus was in the scripture, created like a natural amphitheater. So not only could the person 300 feet away hear what he was saying, but also he could hear what they were saying. Right? So imagine like, you know, you whisper something to your friend while somebody preaching. And the next thing you know, the pastor's like, so, uh, Mo, <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of this is one of those interesting situations. But Jesus chose this place, right? He brought them out of the city, of the villages that they were in to this secluded area in the wilderness, right? Because remember, Jesus had to feed them too. Um, and so he created this place with no distractions, right? Because the city's loud. There's a lot going on. You got like, um, carts and sheep and people just traveling and doing business, right? And so Jesus brought them out of the city into this area so they could hear him clearly and focus on the word, right? Their attention was undivided, right? And so this is what he did to preach to them. And he did the same thing when he was taking his time with God. And so my question for you is, is your time with God divided? Is it divided? Have you found a quiet place that's uninterrupted to have your time with God? And so I just want to share a bit about my times with God, right? So living in a household is awesome, right? It's amazing. And sometimes it can get pretty loud. I mean, just sharing a room or a house in general, people, it just can get loud. People live, right? Um, and so there's only so many places where you can go to get privacy, you know, when there's a good amount of people in there, you know, everybody's always moving around. And especially when you share a room, man, I love you, Mariah, <laughs> right? And so for me, my quiet place is my closet. Right. And so I go in there and I have my quiet time. I have my like desk pushed against the wall in there. And so the girls know when the closet door is closed that I'm having my quiet time. And so sometimes I'll hear them like, oh, where's India? And then they'll go in the room and they'll see the closet door is closed. Like, oh, she's having her quiet time. Leave her alone. You know, like they don't come in there. Right. Another person that has a specific place in the house is Shanice. 
right? So she goes on the back porch because she likes to be around nature. It reminds her of God. Um, and so she goes back on there on the patio. It's screened in so we don't get eaten alive, right? Um, and so she goes back there and she has her time with God and we don't interrupt her. You know, we know when she's back there and sometimes I can hear her singing to God while I'm making breakfast. I'm like, oh, that's nice. You know, like you just hear her singing, right? And that's what she does to have uninterrupted time with God. And so sisters, where's this special place that you have your time with God? Is it uninterrupted? Do people know that that's your place, right? Obviously not to interrupt you, but to know like, okay, she's having a quiet time. This is her spot, right? Or do you just do them wherever it's convenient? You know, do you just, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to sidle over here in the corner, watching everybody pass by. It's convenient, right? We need to be totally radical in our time with the Father. This is very important. We see that Jesus brought these people out of the city. And these were not the rich people, you know? These were the poor people that couldn't go into the synagogue. So they didn't have no food. Jesus had to feed them. And he brought them out. That's how important it was to him. And so in verse 2, of Mark 4, verse 2. It says, he taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, listen. You listening? <laughs> listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears let to hear, let them hear. And so, as many of you know, Jesus only taught in parables, right? To people, he only taught in parables, which were just pretty much like, spiritual principles hidden with metaphors, right? They're, they could be pretty confusing. Um, and so he did this so that those who weren't willing to understand the word of God wouldn't understand the word of God. You had to work to learn under Jesus. And the same applies today. And so I know for me, like I used to really struggle with parables. Like it was bad. Like they would just go right over my head. Like they'll say something. I'm like, mm, I don't know what that means, right? It, would, it just wouldn't work. And one day it clicked. And this is what I did differently. You know, I got tired of not understanding. I got like really sick of it. I would literally ask the person next to me, what, what did this mean? You know, like, what does this mean? And I got tired of not being able to figure it out on my own. And so I started saying a specific prayer. Before my quiet times, I started asking God, please open my heart and my mind to understand what I'm reading. And I went through the gospels and I was like, I'm going to understand because if I don't understand Jesus, how can I understand anything else? You know? And so I prayed that. And that's what Jesus did here when he said, whoever has ears, let them hear, you know? And so it wasn't until I got indignant about my ignorance, right? It wasn't until I asked God to help me understand his word that it opened up for me, right? It wasn't piercing me. The parables were going right over. They weren't getting into the heart. And so when was the last time, sisters, that you asked God to open your mind and heart to the word? When was the last time? You can start today. And so I have three short points. Um, the first point is you pick your soil. You pick your soil. And we're going to be in Mark 4 for the, pretty much the whole sermon. Um, so in verse 10, 
It says, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might be turned and be forgiven. And so this scripture is really interesting to me, you know, because the 12 at this point were literally just like me. They didn't get it. You know, they were like, all right, Jesus, um, it's not making sense to me. Like, help us out. Right. And so what do they do? They asked Jesus for help understanding. They didn't just sit there not understanding. Right. And so we all know the scripture in Matthew 7, 7 about, you know, if you ask, it will be given to you. Right. But I would dare say that everyone in this room does not believe that. And I'll say that again. I would dare say that you don't truly believe that. And so the reason why I say that is because if every single disciple, every single person believed that if you asked God of something, you would receive it, I believe the world would have been evangelized years ago. Honestly, that's our goal, right? To evangelize the world. That's what we pray for. That's what's on our heart. And if we truly believe that we would have got that, it would have happened. It's God we're talking about. The first century church did it. And so just, you know, about that, Chris said a similar thing in staff um, last week. He read Psalms 121.5 about, you know, not um, about God protecting us from all harm, right? And he said, all of you don't believe this. And I remember in my head sitting there and I was like, speak for yourself. <laughs> speak for yourself, sir. This is God's word. I believe this, right? Like that was in my mind. And that's what I thought in my, in my heart, you know? I believe the Bible. That's God's word. And then he said... If you truly believed this, you would never struggle with fear and anxiety. And I was like, oh, oh man. I felt like I got punched in the chest. I was like, oh, man, <laughs> right? Just sitting right there. I got hot. I was like, dang, it's hot in here. <laughs> right? Because realistically, and I've shared with many of you, I've been struggling with fear. I've been struggling with anxiety and stress to the point of sickness. And so this is something that I've been getting open about. I've been asking for help with because I just could not overcome it. And in my pride, I said that I believe God's word when Chris talked about it, right? Yeah, I was proven a liar. And then we think, what else is my pride leading me to lie about? In what areas has my pride deceived me today? Oh, wait, forgot we're sticking my teeth. The sisters are signaling. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. <laughs> and so... My question to you guys, did you say the same thing when I talked about Matthew 7, 7? Did you say the same thing in your heart when I said you don't believe it? And so in what areas is your pride deceiving you today? Let's reflect on that. Because do not be misled, sisters. We receive the secrets of the kingdom when we study the Bible and get baptized and become disciples. We receive them, but we have to fight to keep them. They don't just stay. We have to keep asking, right? And so when the pride slips in, those ears, they go unhearing. Those eyes, they go unseeing. And those minds don't understand. Because I was a disciple and I didn't understand parables. I had to seek after it. Verse 13. So it says in verse 13, then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? 
And so Jesus, he doesn't rebuke his disciples. You know, this isn't a rebuke. He wasn't mad at them, right? Um, but he does give them a little love tap here. You know, like, okay, like, come on, y'all. Y'all been with me for a while now. What's going on? You know, they've been traveling with him for some while every day, going to different cities, you know, seeing miracles and still whoop, not getting it, right? And they still don't understand. At this point, they already have been chosen as the apostles. They've been appointed, and yet they still don't understand, right? And so Jesus is the perfect example of a loving and gentle instructor, right? And so 2 Timothy 4.2 says, teach with great patience and careful instruction. Literally Jesus, right? And so he challenges them. He really challenges them here. They must understand the secret to the kingdom. They have so much on their stakes. They're the apostles. They have to try. And so my question for you is, are you sitting in your ignorance? Do you have some things that you're not confident on, not completely solid in your conviction, that you're not asking for help, understanding? That was me for the whole time that I was sitting there not understanding these parables. I wasn't asking to really, truly get it. My eyes weren't open. And so, you know, this situation happened a while back. I was talking to this sister um, who didn't want to ask someone to come to, like, a meeting of the body. They were like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to put too much pressure. I don't want to, you know, give them too much at once, right? And I was like, okay, um, what's going on, sis? Help me understand, like, how is seeking the kingdom too much for someone that says that they want to be a disciple? Um, and so I dug a little deeper, and I uncovered that she didn't have a strong conviction on seeking the kingdom. She didn't have the conviction. Sisters, the disciples in the first century church met every day. They met every day. No excuse. That's not my standard. That's not Chris's standard. That's God's standard. When we fail to have conviction, we fail to teach conviction. And when we become weak disciples, we make weak disciples. Imagine baptizing someone that didn't have a conviction to come to church. And they're a disciple, but we're like, oh, you got to come to church. Like, come on. That wouldn't encourage anyone. That would be work. So instead of going and making more disciples, I'm chasing after a disciple. That's not what we're supposed to do, you guys. And so I really want to lift up our baby sister, Mariah. <laughs> so she realized her first week of being a disciple that her housing on campus wasn't going to work out, right? Um, so she had three options, either stay on campus and go into debt, um, transfer to a school in Tampa and go live with her parents or move into a sister household, right? And so she only knew us for like two weeks, you know? She didn't know us that well, right? These are people that she just met. She didn't even knew all the sisters in the household. She didn't know Alicia, you know? She barely met Priscilla, right? Like she didn't know all of us, right? She didn't make this decision lightly though. Like, I mean, she got a lot of advice. Like she talked to me and then like one hour later I was talking to a sister and she's like, oh yeah, Mariah talked to me. I was like, dang, okay. Okay, she getting advice. Like she was quick with it. She was asking everybody, what should she do? She prayed about it. And she chose to move into a sister household. And now she's a living example of Acts 2. She's with disciples every day. And that's the privilege of living in a sister household. You're around disciples all the time. So you get discipling all the time, right? It's pretty awesome. <laughs> and it's literally just that easy. All you have to do is ask for help. 
And so let's go to verse 14. In verse 14, it says, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like the seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And so the scripture describes four types of people. And I want to ask, which one are you today? Which one of these seeds are you today? And so let me explain. Let me go into all four of the seeds, right? The first seed never even made it to the water. They never got baptized. Satan caught them while they were studying the Bible. Something happened. It choked them out. And sadly, they didn't make it, right? The second seed, they made it. They made it to the waters of baptism. They got baptized. They got the Holy Spirit. They received salvation, amen? But then life hits, and their job asks them to work on Sundays. So they can't come to church. The really cute and spiritual guy that they invited to study the Bible doesn't make it, right? Decides to stop studying. And one way or another, boom, they're gone. They had no root. This is real life, sisters. This is real life. The third seed, this is the tricky one, you know? Um, so this person was born among the thorns, right? So they survived some stuff. They got some battle scars, right? They have roots, right? It doesn't say they don't have roots. They've got some strong convictions, right, in some areas. But then their parents need help, so they need to go back home. Financial aid runs out. Or it gets canceled. You have to pay a deposit on a house or look for a new household, right? And they start to worry. They start to stress. Finances all of a sudden become an issue. And they struggle. But they don't fall away. It doesn't say that they leave. They're still in the kingdom. They just become unfruitful. And so I had the privilege to share for communion at the Tampa service on Sunday. And I felt my heart really leaning towards this scripture, you know, and I had to be honest and I had to be humble because I have been the third seed. That's been me. I've allowed myself to be so stressed out that the word had became unfruitful in my life. It was bouncing off. Um, I haven't borne fruit. And even now, like, I struggle to say this because it's embarrassing. You know, my pride wants me to hide it. You know, I want to keep it in because I care what people think about me. I care. I feel embarrassed because I'm an intern, right? I should be bearing fruit. Um, I'm supposed to be baptizing people. I leave the campus ministry. I'm supposed to be spiritual, right? But that's the pride. And that's not from God. I've been critical. I've been rebellious. I've been unloving. And I've done all these things, and I'm ashamed. And these are all fruits of the third seed. And so now I know where I am. What do I do next, right? I ask God for help. And I prayed. And I begged God to help me to be humble. 
to help me to trust him, to choose not to fear, to not worry. And what happened? When a fear, when a situation that triggers fear came before me, I chose to be calm. It wasn't like, oh, like some miraculous thing happened and this wave from, you know, heaven came down. No, no, no. I chose to be calm. When someone decided to throw my own sin in my face and I wanted to be upset and I wanted to be mad, I just said, yeah, <laughs> Right? <laughs> I took a deep breath. <gasps> right? When that assignment wasn't posted until the day it was due. Right? You know, at midnight, you gotta do the assignment, right? Um, I took a Yahweh breath and I said, no. The last seed is fruitful. And I said this in Tampa and I wanna say this now. I choose to be the seed that bears a hundred fruit. And I wanna challenge you to do the same today because it's a choice. And so I really wanna challenge everyone here to get a conviction on bearing fruit for God. I wanna ask that every person think about what thing in your life is like that extra like icing on top, you know? What's that special thing like that pumpkin spice latte, you know? Ah, that chocolate cake with the strawberries on top, you know? What is it that's like, okay, a little extra that you, you know, like give yourself, cause you know, I deserve this right now. What is that? And I want to call you to fast from it until you bear fruit. Hey, I, that hit somebody right there. <laughs> that hit somebody. <laughs> I want to ask you to fast from it. And so for me, I'm going to fast from those things. I'm fasting from coffee. Ooh. I love me some coffee, some hot chocolate and chocolate milk. Y'all sisters know the chocolate milk. <laughs> and fast food, eating out. I'm going to have to stay at home. Because we need to be radical about doing God's work. We need to be radical about bearing fruit. How important is the dream of evangelizing the nations to you? Is it more important than chocolate milk or a pumpkin spice latte or, or some green bean casserole that Kenji makes? That green bean casserole, now that's something else. <laughs> How important is it to you? Point number two, out of the dark. Out of the dark. So in verse 21 of Mark 4, it says, He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And so I grew up hearing the saying, um, you know, whatever's done in the dark will be brought to the light, right? I'm sure we all have heard something similar. And this reigns even more true in God's kingdom. You know, whatever is done in secret will be exposed in God's time. And so there's a few things that I'd really like to address that I've noticed that I see is hindering us from truly leveling up, from truly being fruitful. True humility and submission. What I've seen one, we have some amazing leaders who get much discipling and help to shepherd and lead us. Chris and Sonia are awesome. Kenji and Alfonso are amazing. Aaron and Yana, Chamba, who leads the Campus House Church. Leading is not easy. It's not. 
And I really want to address this false sense of submission, this false sense of humility that's crept into many hearts. Um, and so Chris and Sonia, you know, in my life, this is something that I did, right? Chris and Sonia made a call and I didn't agree, right? Um, but I didn't have to participate in this call. I didn't have to do it, right? So I was like, you know, it don't matter, right? Then it came up in conversation with Sonia. Sonia's like, oh, Andy, how do you feel about this? I was like, I don't agree. It's not my conviction. It's not my thing, sorry. Um, and so some of you probably already see the issue with what I said, right? <laughs> what I did there. But for the sisters who didn't see the issue with what I said, let me explain. My leader made a call, right? And I stated that I didn't agree, one, and I made no effort to come to agreeance, to seek to understand, to come to complete unity. Just left it there. What is that? That's disunity. And that right there is where divisiveness starts. And so, of course, I got some discipling, and I repented, amen. And I apologized for my heart, because I saw that it wasn't okay. It wasn't godly, and I hurt Sonia. And even more so, I hurt God from my divisiveness. And so I want to ask the sisters, if your Bible talk leaders, your ministry leaders, made a call that you didn't agree with, did you ask them? Or did you just sit there and say, I don't agree, I'm not doing it? That is divisive and rebellious, and it is not fit for God's kingdom. Romans 13. Romans 13 and verse 1. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. God chooses our leaders, the ones leading in our country, in the world, and especially the ones in God's kingdom. These are God's appointed. They are to be respected, not because of who they are. Don't respect me because of who I am. I'm a sinner, okay? I'm just telling y'all, I'm a sinner. I'm gonna mess up, right? But respect them because of who they serve. They serve God. That's who they serve. Bible talk leaders have been chosen by God. Your disciples have been chosen by God. Your house church leaders have been chosen by God. Chris and Sonia have been chosen by God to lead. And so, I've, as I shared, like, I've been guilty of being rebellious and of being <sighs> And it honestly broke my heart to see the pain it caused in the people that I, that I follow, that I cared about, especially on Sonia, who I love so much. Like, I do. And I respect you, Sonia, so much. And so, imagine how God Imagine this criticalness of decisions made by leadership, this justice that has crept into so many hearts, including mine. It needs to end today. It's not a democracy in God's kingdom. Jesus is a king, and that is all. Now, that doesn't mean, sisters, that you shouldn't express your feelings, that you shouldn't express your thoughts. And sometimes you're but please remember that your intentions matter. Because we have feelings too, y'all. Like, we're human. <laughs> like, you know, like, I, I have feelings. <laughs> I get hurt. 
I cry, <laughs> you know? Please remember that your intentions matter. Come seek Trusting they have your best interest in mind. Because all we're trying to do is get to heaven. That's all we're trying to do. Mark chapter 4. Back in Mark 4. Mark 4, verse 24. It says, Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has, whoever will be, has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So let's remember that with the same criticalness, the same rebellion, the judgment that you use against another, it will be applied to you. It's fine now, right? When you're doing it to somebody that leads you. It's all fun. There's no pressure, right? But what happens when you start discipling someone or you start leading a Bible talk and you make some tough calls? Someone that you care about starts being critical. They start gossiping about you and the decisions that you made. How would you feel? I know it doesn't feel good. It doesn't. Verse 26. He also said, that is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Here we see that God is the one who causes the seeds to grow. He causes the plants to grow. It's not us. It isn't our swiftness with the scriptures or our adeptness and deep biblical knowledge of the studies. It's God. And so I really want to encourage everyone in the church, like I do, because the sisters in this church have been cranking. Y'all been cranking for real. And there has been radical change and growth in so many ways all over all of the ministries. It's literally amazing. And so I really want to shout out every single ministry for what they've been doing. And so from the marriage, I really want to lift up Taylor. Come on, Taylor. She's been leading the way and sharing her faith. Like, this lady is radical. It's a force to be reckoned with, okay? I mean, she has such strong convictions, and she knows how to go about getting more, right? Um, and so on her lunch break at work, like, she literally reached out to us and was like, hey, guys, I want to come to campus and share. Me and you, she works, meanwhile, she works a whole job, full time, you know? Like, this isn't like, oh, yeah, I work part time. No, no, no. She works, and she chose her lunch break to go sharing and evangelize. And so I really want to call the Marys to imitate her faith and zeal. What little time do you have to share? What radicalness are you able to apply to your lives? And the singles, I want to look up Nancy. <laughs> this woman is amazing. She has some strong convictions, y'all. Um, Nancy, not only are we moving into the DOT household, that is a Thunder's household, right? But also, she's been looking for a new job. 
because she wants to be more available for the kingdom. She doesn't have to. She could stay at Universal. You know, she can stay where she gets very good pay and very good benefits. But she wants to sacrifice that. This is radical faith. And singles, I really want to call you to imitate her. In the campus, I want to lift up Cassie. She is a living example of not letting anything hinder you from preaching the word. I've literally seen her overcome so many battles every day with openness and humility and raise up into an amazing leader. She's literally known for sharing. Like, she's known. The brother's like, oh, this person wants to study? Send it to Cassie. That's her reputation, is to be evangelizing. Is that not what we're called to do? Like, that's awesome. And so campus, imitate her. She's awesome. And this is the refreshment that we get from radical repentance, right? And so take note, sisters, take note. Point number three, up to even greater things. Up to even greater things. Verse 35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I feel like this section is so relevant to us today, honestly. Like, even me. You know, you ever go through a trial, like a hard time, and you feel like God isn't there? You know? Ah, maybe he's just watching over L.A. right now. He's not here, you know? Um... (laughs) God is, God is working. He's working in Miami. You know what I mean? Like, they're doing great. Go help us next. You know? God is moving, moving, I'm telling you, in Shanice's life. Not mine. Maybe next year. You know, I felt like that. I definitely felt like that. With the struggles of anxiety and fear, you know, I really started to take a south turn on my health. Um, I would come home just sick, coughing, hard to breathe, you know? Um, I even almost fell on the stairs one time. And the girls were like, girl, you need to repent. <laughs> this is not okay. And I thought that there was no way, no way that God is watching me right now. There's no way that he's protecting me right now. He's gotta be looking at somebody else. And this is Satan's master plan. To make us believe that God is not really there, but that is far from true. In verse 39, it says, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid, sisters? The disciples' fear stopped them from seeing Jesus right in front of them. He literally stopped the storm. I mean, it's storming outside. Like, imagine if somebody came in here and was like, stop. That'd be crazy. That would be crazy. (laughs) And the disciples were terrified. And they were like, who is this guy? Jesus, maybe? Right? 
he literally stopped the storm. And so for me, my fears have a lot to do with friendships. Friendships and building relationships, honestly. I'm afraid to completely give my heart to people because I'm afraid of getting hurt and of being abandoned. I don't wanna be alone. And so as I build friendships, a huge part of me feels a fear of like, what if they leave? What if they leave? What if they don't like me? What if they gossip about me? What if they stop being friends with me? And this is something that really weighs on me. Like it brings me to tears. And that fear blocked me from seeing the amazing friends that I have in my life that have stayed because I was so afraid. And it stopped me from seeing my greatest friend, God. And that has to stop. And so what is your fear blocking you from seeing today? What storm has Jesus cleared away in your life that you can't even see? Jesus cleared the storm. They couldn't even focus on that. They were too afraid of the fact that he could clear the storm. When we overcome our fear and choose to live radically in faith, we can do even greater things than Jesus did. In Acts 5, people laid the sick in Peter's shadow to be healed. His, sh his shadow. <laughs> like, what? They had to touch Jesus' cloak, if you remember, right? They touched his cloak. He laid his hands on people. They laid in Peter's shadow to be healed. What would people do to get saved now? My three points are you pick your soil out of the dark and up to even greater things. And if you look at the first letters of the points, it spells you. You choose which soil you are and you choose whether to get open and repent. Humility starts with you. Fruitfulness starts with you, and you are the key part of a bigger whole, and to God be the glory.